Hello, friends. I re- attended a retreat uh, between the 7th and 10th of September, and this episode was one of the class sessions that I taught at that retreat. The sound is a little wonky, and unfortunately, there's not a whole lot I can do with that. And I wanted to minimize my editing so that you all could hear the experience and feel as if you also were in the same classroom with everyone else who attended. So I left it as it was for the most part. I deleted some of the gaps and silences and things, but for the most part, it is fully intact. I also included the Q&As at the end of the class and throughout And there's even a special little treat if you stay after the credit music. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the witchy historian. We get started. I have no, because my memory is horrible. (laughs) My name is um, Crystalina May, is my public name. Um, I am a historian. My podcast is called The Witchy Historian. It's available on most platforms, so it shouldn't be too hard to find. I am a historian of gender and post-Reformation Christianity. I've previously published on Black masculinity in the civil rights era, so I do a lot of things on intersectionality and on social movements in different time periods. My podcast focuses on the people, events, and the historical themes that kind of led up to and carried past the witch trials of the early modern period. And I also demonstrate what it looks like to be a modern practicing pagan. So some of those practical applications and some of the historical roots of where a lot of our practices come from. Today, we're going to talk about altars and sacred spaces, kind of where they come from, their prevalency, and different practices, what they are, different things that they can be used for, and different methods of putting one together. So after the core lesson, we are going to have some time for some questions, and if you know if you have any, and then we have some things, and you can all build a travel altar. Oh yeah, to take home with you. So, what is an altar? So an altar is just simply a designated sacred space that is set up or put together with intention. It can be small, it can be large, it can be temporary or permanent, it can be stationary, it can travel with you, it can be dedicated to a specific part of your practice, to a deity or an energy that you're working with, or for a season, a Sabbath or a holiday. Or it can even be a working space where you are doing your spells or whatever type of working that you're doing, where you can contain the energy of that until it's complete. Altars are used and have been used into antiquity since the beginning of time in some form in nearly every religion and spiritual practice around the world. We see them in modern churches, synagogues, and mosques in temples, at special gatherings, and you might even see one at your local witchy shop. Community altars are very popular. Sometimes we can all add intentions to those. Just because 
we have an altar doesn't mean that only one person can use it. They can be set up as a communal space as well. Altars and sacred spaces have been in use for so long that archaeologists and historians cannot identify which one is the oldest. They'll find one and they'll date it. They'll look at all the things and the tools in it and they'll go, I think this might be the first working altar. This might be the first altar for this area. And then they'll go somewhere, somewhere else and they'll be like, oh no wait, this one's older. And then they'll go somewhere else and go, oh no wait, this one's older. They're scattered all around the world and they go back so long and they're so old that we don't know if there's any one point of origin of altars. They are a shared practice across cultures. They're present in ancient civilizations and modern ones, in religious and non-religious spaces. And of course, they're used in a wide variety of ways. So I'm gonna kind of talk about the different types of altars that are more common. And if you have any questions as we move along or towards the end, feel free to pop your hand up and I will definitely answer anything that I can. So first, and this is the most common one that I think a lot of modern practitioners use is a working altar. It usually contains a cauldron or a burning bowl or some type of dish that you that is fire safe. Please make sure your dishes are fire safe so they don't explode on you. I learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> um, and this is where you can burn your incense or your charcoal discs with your herbs your spells, whatever it is, and your candle drippings, whatever that is, can all be contained in that dish. They're usually relatively easy to clean out. Cast iron is really good for that. And that's usually kind of sitting in the center or you can move it when you're done, whatever. Whatever your orientation feels like for you. Also, your tools of choice. Mortar and pestle, a wand, crystals, whatever those are, however your practice operates, um, cleansing tools, things like that. An easy to clean surface. Witchcraft gets messy. You want something that you can wipe off or that's not going to melt underneath the heat of your cauldron that maybe isn't, if you get some wax on it, isn't gonna be too hard to clean. If you do have a cloth on that surface and wax does melt onto it, let it dry, pick the wax off, and use a blow dryer to melt the remnants of the wax and then dab it with a paper towel. If you blot it with a paper towel, it should lift most of the wax out of your cloth. And then of course, items for any working that you're doing in that moment. Every working is a little bit different. Every spell is a little bit different. So anything that you're needing for that particular working, gather that, bring that into your space, and have that ready for you as you're moving forward through your, through your work. Also, deity altars. Not everybody feels called to work with the deity. That's okay. This is your practice. Make it work for you. What feels right. Trust your intuition. But if you do have a deity or an energy that you work with, some of those components might be something like a representation of that deity. It doesn't have to be a super fancy statue. I have a couple of them, but they're not required at all. 
you can get a candle, you can get a little kind of totem piece, like a carving, a stone carving. It can be inexpensive. It can be something you find out in the woods in nature. Whatever helps you feel connected to that energy that is representative to you of them, that is your representation of that deity. Offering dishes are really, really common in deity work. We want something that we can give them something to drink, something to eat, something if they have trinkets that they like and call you to, to give something to put those on or in. And of course, those trinkets and gifts. Sometimes you'll walk into a shop and you'll hear a little voice that says, I like that shiny thing. You should get that and bring that home to me and put it on my altar. I get those a lot. Um, so those little trinkets and gifts. Sometimes you'll get this right here, this quartz point that I'm wearing that's now stuck on my shirt. This was the first trinket gift that I put on Apollo's altar. It sat on his altar for three years. He gave it back to me two weeks ago and told me to bring it here and wrap it. And then I'm supposed to wear it now. So there you go. Now, this is part of his altar that I carry on me. I have an altar on my neck now, as well as his actual, you know, physical altar at home. So an altar can be anything. There are many, many ways to express an altar. Back to the deity altar, though. Other symbolic items that you associate with that deity and divination items as you feel called to use them. So I also work with Loki. I have a tiger's eye that's about this big that's shaped in the shape of a wolf howling at the moon. And if you know anything about Loki's lore, one of his children is a wolf named Fenrir. That sits on Loki's altar because that is one of those symbolic representations that are connected to, to him. Divination items. My Morgan altar has a set of runes that sits on it. My Lilith altar has a black obsidian mirror that sits on it. So whatever, it, and again, it doesn't have to be something super fancy. You can make this item yourself, but if you feel called to use a divination tool as you communicate with this deity, or for certain types of communication with the deities or the energies that you're working with, their altar is a great place to store that because it helps connect them with that energy. Next, we have an ancestor altar. And these do look a little bit different if you have specific cultural backgrounds. I am Latina, so I have certain other representations on my ancestor altar as well. But a, it's really, really common to have things like a picture or kind of a representation of that ancestor energy that you're working with. If you have a specific living experience with that ancestor, it might be easier to connect with that. For me, I have my grandmother, I have her um, funeral pamphlet that is sitting on my ancestor altar. She passed away this last year. Um, but you can also have things that remind you of them and if you didn't know them in this life kind of meditate with that energy when it comes to you and ask them what they want they'll tell you in some way or another and if you don't get an answer right away that's okay take some time with it 
You don't have to build an altar in one day. Apollo's altar has been growing and changing for three years. Loki's altar has been growing and changing for two. You can shift things as it feels correct. And as your journey and as your path changes, those altars in your relationship with them is going to shift as well. Ancestor altars are also highly personal. It's going to depend upon your relationship with them and what their personal preferences are. My dad really likes amaretto and Dr. Pepper. My grandma likes whiskey and wine, banana wine to be specific. <laughs> I have other ancestors that I didn't know in this life that like other things. So whoever you're inviting into that space, kind of get in touch with that energy. See what feels right when you're connecting with that. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so uh, my ancestors have a history of alcohol abuse, and mm -hmm. when I do work with them, they ask for it, but I refuse because it's not something I want to entertain. That is absolutely your right to do. Okay. And you also have the right, if an energy comes to you who has that type of relationship mm -hmm. with a substance that is dangerous to either you or to them, you have the right to both put up that boundary and to not work with them until they work with through that. Okay. You can also try and assist them with that, but you're not obligated to do that. Okay. That is not your work to do. So again, it's gonna be your path, but if you choose not to fulfill that addiction, mm -hmm. you're not obligated to do that. Okay. Thank you. Yes. For another thing for ancestor altars. Candles are really great. That fire energy, the heat from it, is a really great conduit for connecting with the other side, for kind of bringing that energy together, and it can, can really help build the connection, especially if you're having a hard time getting in touch with that. Have a designated candle for an ancestor, or even for all of your ancestors, if, you're, if you haven't identified individual ones yet, have a designated ancestor candle. Set it on your altar, and that's in that space, and that kind of meditate with it. Focus on it. Focus on that energy and the heat that it's giving off, and see what kind of messages you can get that come to you. And again, divination tools as you feel called. If you don't feel called to use specific divination tools, I do not with my ancestors, then you don't have to. But I know a lot of people that do that use a specific tarot deck or a specific set of, I, I know some people that use like die, like six-sided die, or um, oracle cards or runes or something like that. Another type of altar that a lot of people kind of don't think about is a kitchen altar. And even if you're not a kitchen witch, you can still have a sacred space in your kitchen. Special herbs, things that you know the intentions for, those metaphysical properties protection, love, healing. Have those. You can put them in special jars or you can leave them in what they came in. Doesn't matter. Have those set in a specific area so that they're easy for you to access as you're cooking. A mortar and pestle. When you use a mortar and pestle, you're putting your energy into the food. You're working up the heat and your magic into your hands and you're putting it through those tools 
right into those herbs. And you can do that and you can crush them together and then put that into your food. All of that love, all of that care, all of that intention, you can direct that directly into the food that you're cooking with. Tinctures, oils, other types of brews that are safe to consume, have those on hand so that if the flavor palette works correctly, you can add them into something. Special recipe box. If you have a set of recipes that you really like to cook with, that you really like to consume, have a designated box for them, a designated container that you can have sitting on this designated space in this kitchen altar so that that intention sits with them at all times. If you would like, if you work with crystals or know what those specific intentions are for each individual crystal, you can have some crystals, some nice stones there. Make it look pretty. Make it yours. And of course, my favorite kitchen altar tool is a cast iron Dutch oven. <laughs> this is the best, you can use it to make a fossil, which is like a spiced cider. It's really popular in the fall. You can use it to make simmer pots. You can use it to make a delicious pot roast. You can make it stews. You can make all kinds of things in a Dutch oven. They can be pricey, but they're worth the investment. So if you can, and of course it's not required, you don't have to go buy a cast iron Dutch oven, but if you can get it, if you can afford it, if it's in your budget, I highly, highly recommend it. Make sure you season it before you use it though. <laughs> and then of course, if you're part of a specific practice like Wiccan, Wiccan altars are very specifically oriented, but you can still personalize them to you, especially if you're a solitary practitioner. So they generally are facing north or east, but again, if you're working with a coven, this might change depending upon their specific orientation. And each one of those cardinal directions represents something different. The east represents creativity, new beginnings, and air. The south represents action, manifestation, and fire. The West is emotion, the subconscious, and water. And the North is wisdom or earth energy. The orientation of the altar, how you kind of set your things on it. The left side are going to be items sacred to the goddess. You can do candles, statues, a chalice, water bowl, bells, wands, brooms, things like that. Things that are generally associated with feminine energy. In the center, you're going to have an incense holder a cauldron, a red candle, for some reason that's really specific, <laughs> and an offering dish. And then on the right side, items sacred to the god. Again, a candle, a statue, some type of representation, a salt bowl, a pentacle, an athame, uh, matches, a small plate for cakes. The god really likes sweet things. Cakes are really popular with the horn of God, just to be <laughs> clear about that. So masculine energy things on the right side. And then anywhere else on the altar, on the Wiccan altar, you can have things like your book of shadows, your pens, your herbs, oils, crystals, flowers. Again, 
This is a Wiccan orientation. You're not required to do this if you don't practice with Wiccan, and this might change and shift a little bit or be even more specific if you work with a coven. So if you're a solitary practitioner, you can really have a lot more fluidity with this. Um, but if you work with a coven or a group of people, that might be a little bit more restricted. So just talk to your mentors, talk to the people that you're, that you're practicing with if you do have a coven, and ask for their guidance on them if you're having trouble. Another great thing to, to have set up is a nature altar. Um, I like having one outside. I don't have a really good space to have one at my new house, but I'm going to try and figure one out. Um, this can be an offering to nature spirits, to fairies, anything like that. I prefer to have this outside. <laughs> a lot of people also have things on the inside of their house for, for fairies as well. I prefer to keep it outside just because the relationship with fairies is very reciprocal and they're extremely literal <laughs> in everything that they do. And if you want to learn more about fairy magic, um, Orion Foxwood and Christopher Hughes are both fantastic resources for that. They are practiced druids, trained, they grew up in the UK where this lore runs very, very deep. So those are probably the best sources that I can think of um, to share with you for that type of magic and practice. But um, Orion Foxwood, and Christopher, K-R-I-S-T-O-F-F-E-R, Hughes, H-O-G-H-E-S. Um, they are both fantastic resources for actually working with fairies or the fair folk. Um, but in my brief studies with those two practitioners, um, through reading their books, the best tools to have is an offering dish, milk and honey, Perfect. Milk and honey is a great thing to leave out for the fairies. Natural tools, wood wands, flowers, crystals, things like that, especially if they're weather safe so they don't degrade quickly. Weather, a weather safe space to place fragile non-weather safe items or perishable foods. So like you can go to the stores and sometimes they have those like fairy shaped like tiny dog houses or mailboxes or you can just get a little fairy house or something like that that has a place for you to set things inside you can do that or you can build something out of wood or you can build a box or, or some type of a housing unit if you want to it doesn't have to be expensive and fancy you can paint it you can decorate it any way that you want to and then um, you can put those per more perishable items on the inside of that. Sweets are really popular with nature spirits. They really like sweets, berries, fruits, things like that. And sometimes you'll find something super shiny and pretty. And they, you'll hear the call. And you can just go put it inside the little, little cubby and leave it there. <laughs> um, sometimes we also leave notes. And this is entirely up to you if you choose to do this or not. But the main thing to remember is not to give them your name. Mm -hmm. And don't say please and don't say thank you. Because if you say thank you, it implies that they did you a favor. 
or that or please again that they're doing you a favor and if they complete that favor or if they have completed that favor that you now owe them something they're okay. very very literal in their contracts so we have very firm boundaries this is mine you cannot have it you can have this very very literal contracts that we have with the, with the fair folk in our in our yard and unfortunately there's a few in our house too but <laughs> i didn't invite them my daughter did she's four she doesn't know better <laughs> so yeah so that is a, a nature altar and again you can set them up to also work with uh, more nature spirits so more um like tree spirits and things like that it doesn't necessarily have to be very focused but it's going to be similar in tone if that makes sense my favorite kind of altar is a self-care altar so you can take your skincare items face masks face oils whatever it is that you use to take care of your face your hair your tools gua sha rollers whatever it is your headbands hair clips hair brushes all of that you can put this in an area whatever area you have them in and then you can either grid or you can just kind of set around stones and some really great stones for self-care and self-love is rose quartz for self-love carnelian to boost your inner confidence clear quartz for self-discovery serpentine is also good for self-discovery kyanite especially blue kyanite is great for self-expression it connects to the throat chakra and helps you with clear communication and speaking your truth and lapis lazuli connects you to your third eye through your crown chakra and it's spiritual support helps you come back into balance and supports your system finally smoky quartz for grounding having those there to set the intention of your space to set the intention of boosting your confidence bringing that beauty and that love into yourself and then being able to put that on your face into your hair onto your skin and absorbing that really sets that intention for you and you can do that daily or you can do that with items that you don't use as often it is entirely up to you but self a self-care altar is a really really great way to incorporate um, an altar space into and you can do it in your bathroom i have mine set up like by my toothbrush holder <laughs> so you can really um, incorporate that in a really practical way so now that we have some ideas does anybody have any questions yeah food offerings can you talk to us about how you complete that cycle when do you take away the food offerings so it really just depends upon who I'm giving it to and what purpose it's for. If it's for um, the full moon or the new moon, um, it, I leave it until the phase changes. So it's usually about 48 to 72 hours. And if it's for a Sabbath, I leave it until the traditional Sabbath has passed. So usually seven to 10 days. Some of them are a little bit shorter. Um, I have some resources for that, so if anybody has any questions, you can find me on Instagram at Witchy Historian, and I'm happy to answer those questions for you um, about different Sabbaths and the Wheel of the Year. For my ancestors, 
I kind of tend to leave it there for a while until they tell me to take it away. It's usually like a week or two. And they're like, okay, we're done with this now. Um, Lilith, I work with her specifically by moon phases. So I'll put something out for her on the new moon or around the new moon. And then she'll tell me to take it away and replace something with something else on the full moon. So about every two weeks, I swap it out. And then in order to get rid of it, and this is, again, a very personal part of practice. I have a friend who puts coffee or water out on her ancestor altar every morning. And the next morning, she consumes it and then refills the cup and replaces it. She puts coffee in the morning. In the morning. And then the next day, she drinks, drinks it. it. Yes. And puts new coffee out. Yes. I wonder if she still drinks her cup of coffee in the morning. I think so. Yeah, yeah, so she, because she's then taking in ancestor energy to herself, boosting her own power and confidence through that ancestor energy, and then takes that throughout the day, and she that's how she does her practice. My practice, my ancestors are a little greedy, they just gobble, gobble, gobble until it's all gone, so... <laughs> They're greedy. They're not greedy. They just like to. They just like to nibble. Um, so I tend to leave things there for extended periods of time, and it's not safe for me to consume them anymore. So once I I get the message, okay, we're done with this. Now you can take it away. I bury it, or if it has salt in it, which is not safe to put in the ground because it will kill all of the plants. I burn it, or Sometimes, not very often, sometimes I flush it because then it'll go through the system um, and it'll get cleansed and purified out of out of the, the water system. Flushing, running water. If you give like a food offering, could you like later give it to like nature so like the animals could eat it? If it's stuff that's if it, if it is food. if it is animal safe, you could. Um, and again, that is if it feels correct for you to do. If it doesn't feel right for you to share that with that energy with that nature energy or with those animal energies then follow that gut feeling but if it feels okay to do that absolutely do that yeah it's so weird i have this space at my house where it's like they don't want anything fresh they will take the rinds of my fruit they will take my dead flowers they will take like if my if i left the zucchini there too long and it's all lit they're like just put it in the ground it's fine we're gonna use it later i love it yeah yeah that's great and then again that's that intuition, right? You're, you're following that gut feeling. This is, at the end of the day, this is your practice. Your altar can look and feel however is right for you. This is a very intuitive part of, of this practice. And your altar should not, you can definitely take inspiration from other people's altars. Look at pictures or you know, talk to other people and be like, oh, yeah, that's a really good idea. I never thought of that. Whatever. But don't look at other people's pictures and be like, oh, I, I need to do that because they did it. This is yours. Trust yourself. One thing that I do with, have done with food offerings um, is I have a compost container and let it do its thing. And then Absolutely. it goes back into the garden if anybody composts. That way, uh, also, for me, it was kind of laziness, too, because I kept it in my kitchen, and it was cold out or whatever. 
You just sit there. And you can put the little discs on the top. It keeps it from smelling and getting bugs in my house. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you mentioned that because I yep. totally forgot about composting. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm so used to just putting it in the ground. Yep. I don't think about it because I don't have a composter. So, yep. you know, it does its own magic in there too while it's composting. It does. It absolutely does. And it feeds the earth with that compost. Yep. So, yeah. Okay. Any other questions or comments? Or? I did not choose any. They picked me. So I can't help you there. I was what, is that, what does that feel like? What does that sound like? Um, for me, for me, it felt very much like I'm never doing deity work because I don't like it. I, God sucks. Church sucks. Religion sucks. And so I don't need deities. I'm going to do this on my own. And then being annoyed persistently at first it was like weekly and then it was like daily and then it was almost hourly Apollo. Just out of the blue or were you just seeing things that were Apollo just, friends or just out of the blue and you were like Apollo, who is this Apollo? When I hear my deities, I hear them behind my left ear and I kept hearing whispers and I would see symbology and things and I started thinking about how I envisioned God when I was part of the church. And I always pictured someone who was very young and rather attractive, had blonde curly hair and bright blue eyes, athletic. And I was just like, that's really interesting because I've never seen God depicted like that. He was always like this old white guy, right? <laughs> and I could never figure out why my envision of God was so different. Then I finally kind of caved after kind of getting all these signs for a while. It just it was a lot of symbology. I got so many crows and ravens and just constantly around me, following me everywhere I went. Like literally, oh, they would they were following me walking across campus, and I would have a trail of them, and I'm like, leave me alone. I don't have anything for you. Yeah, so. A lot of sun signs, a lot of the types of history, because I was still in my undergraduate degree at this point, things that were attracting me, the types of classes and things that were grabbing my attention were leading me to the types of things that are associated with Apollo, healing, education, archery. He's also known for being an archer, um, along with everyone else in the Greek pantheon. <laughs> um, so there was just a lot of things that started to click for me. And I started reading his lore. And it was like reading my life story. It was weird. I did not like it. It made me very upset. I closed the book and ignored it for six weeks. <laughs> and then I um, got my first tarot deck. And I shuffled and death flew out transformation and I was like no put it back shuffle 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 <laughs> tower flew out big transformation I was like I don't like that game <laughs> so I started I was like nope starting over I just muddled it on the ground picked them all back up again shuffled 
the sun popped out. Apollo was associated with the symbology of the sun. So I went back to my book and I read more. And being a history student, I had a lot of access to a lot of the research that had been done around, um, they called them cults of whatever deity back in ancient Rome and ancient Greece. Looked into the cults of Apollo, the Oracle of Delphi, all of these things that are associated with Apollo. And all of a sudden it clicked. And I could feel him he was standing right here next to me. And I was like, why me? I don't want a deity. I want to do this on my own. And he said, because you're mine. I brought you here. You're mine. And that was when I realized that he was my patron. I call him Daddy Apollo. <laughs> because um, of the relationship that we have. And he is a, a rather... Um, kind of young energy, he's, I, I would say, like the energy he has is kind of like my age, mid-30s, but it's daddy energy. When I, when I need to be told what to do, he tells me what to do. But it's, uh, it's also a very gentle, loving energy, and it's very bright and very uplifting. And I think that was something that I needed because almost every other deity that I work with deals with the shadow almost every single one. Loki, Morgan, Lilith, Persephone, Hades, there's all an aspect of shadow with all of them. And Persephone specifically, um, I work with her in order to deal with my trauma surrounding my femininity. That is my work with, with Persephone. And so I need that grounding back in Daddy Apollo in order to be able to continue the shadow work that I do with my other deities. So it's a very interesting path that he's left me down. And he actually brought me forward um, to the point where he introduced me to Loki. And that was the next deity that I started working with. So I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah. It's interesting. It's an interesting journey. Thanks for sharing. It is. Thank you. Thank you for asking. Any other questions? Oh, oh, oh yeah. So like, if you want, if you have like a um, very limited space and you kind of want to consolidate, mm -hmm. I don't want to say multiple intentions in one altar. Yeah. Is that a bad idea or no? Yeah. Okay. Like, it's um, yours. You can absolutely do that. You can quadrant it off. So if you have a very small space, um, this is a great example. You could take a box like this. Like if you are still in the broom closet, as we like to say, you can tape images, whatever, to the top of this, decorate the inside however you want, have your things set up however you want on the inside, how it feels right to you. Oh no, people are coming over. It's an altar? No, it's not. It's a box. It's not a good And then they're all gone. We've cleansed our space. We can open it back up again, and it's all good. So that is an option. 
you can also, if you do have a place that you can safely set out in a, in a permanent way, um, that you don't necessarily have to hide or tuck away, you can have, if you want, you can have it like kind of like quartered off, if that makes sense. Like have this little area for this, this little area, but you don't have to. Because those aspects at the end of the day, and this is what shadow work is about, is integrating. All of these different things that we're working on together, they're all working together in your path. Deities do get a little bougie sometimes. So if you have like a deity altar or an ancestor altar, they might get a little like, that, that doesn't belong here because this is my space. But that is entirely dependent on how you feel that energy and that vibe. If, it, if you put something in a space, and it doesn't feel right there, just move it. Like, it's not a big deal. It's not gonna like burn your house down or curse your house. Unless it's clear quartz in a window. Don't leave clear quartz in a window. That might burn your house down. <laughs> but that's not metaphysical. That's just because the sun that's just like, gets <laughs> amplified by quartz. Anyways. <laughs> I need to move my <laughs> yeah, yeah. In a window, it can actually start a fire uh, if you leave it there, especially in sphere shapes or prism shapes, like like this. Like that's why people cover their like crystal balls and things like that. Yep. Mm -hmm. cover on it, oh. so the sun doesn't make it start fire. Oh, okay. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I just had a weird thing like pop in my head, suggestion-wise, if you have limited space, and you can tell me if this is like. But so like if you have a workstation, because I think I want to do this, my house is under construction. So I have like my workstation and my altar in my bedroom right now. And I just bought some shelves because they were cheap. Mm -hmm. I'm going to put the shelves and separate them on the shelves. That's what I did. Yeah. I have, so I have an actual like, yeah. like tiny desk made for like dorm spaces. Yeah. There's a shelf area here that has my, it's my crystal altar. And it has all my crystals on it. It's very embarrassing. Don't mind it. <laughs> but then I have uh, like one of those four shelf bookshelves on top of it. And each one, each shelf is for one of my deities. So the top one is for Apollo, then Loki, then Lilith, then Morgan. And then um, I have a planter with a dragon tree in it. And that is for Persephone and Hades. I have a tiny little box, like a clear box that has like paper clips and pins and stuff like that in it. On top of that, I have a calligraphy stone, a confidence amulet, and a um, labradorite. And oh, and a carnelian tower. It's a little tiny thing. It's like this thing. <laughs> Those are for my work. Inner confidence, carnelian. Calligraphy for my it's a little on the nose. Um, and Labradorite for focus. And the Labradorite is actually a palm stone. So if I need to, I can just pick it up and hold it. I and, also like the idea, too, yeah. like if you work in the kitchen, like your kitchen, which like bringing that, if there's a deity that you work with in the kitchen, make yes. your altar in your kitchen with your kitchen stuff. Absolutely. I know a ton of people who work with Cassia and Sarah Dwin because they're very, like, hearth and home, hearth and home at the cauldron type deal. Freya is another one that's really good for that. Put her altar in your kitchen. If you feel called to do that, do it. To meet her in that kitchen. Yeah. yeah. That's another great one. That's another great. Oh, yeah. 
there's so many good deities. <laughs> so it's the girl who said that I was never going to work with a deity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, hit up secondhand stores for your stuff. You don't have to buy new. If you need to buy something for your altar or for your stuff, don't buy new. You can go to the secondhand store. Yes, or you can intention it to come to you. That too. Many, many things came to me. I want a broom. Three dollars at a yard sale. Yeah. It, they, it shows up, and you'll brush the process. Right. Yeah. yeah. It'll show up when you're ready for it. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Can you talk a little more about cleansing and when and is it is it yeah. is it literally cleaning the space or I heard you say knocking the like what yeah. like okay so. Like, I'm, I'm going to have a seasonal altar in the spring kind of thing. Yeah. And so to get ready for the spring, other than wiping it down, like, like what is? So, again, that's going to be a really personal thing. I personally, so for my altar spaces, um, I wipe them down, like, how I would normally, like, I dust them off, and I, like, I move everything off, I dust them, clean them real good, and then I put everything where I want it, I set it all up, and then I get a salt spray so it's just like a little bit of out with rubbing alcohol um water and sea salt and i just use that and i spritz it through the and it just kind of cleanses the atmosphere you can also smoke cleanse if you don't mind incense and herbs you can um sound cleanse if you like bells or just really loud music that's my favorite follow up boy is my jam right now they have they just dropped a new album in march and I just can't stop listening to it. It's so good. <laughs> Shameless plug. I'm an emo kid till I die. It's fine. So, no, just what, how, you can cleanse in so many different ways. You can also, if you feel some stagnant energy, just say, go away. You can just use your voice. You can sing, whatever it is that feels right to you. Clapping is another good one. Salt cleansing. I know in certain spaces, my bathroom specifically, where I have my altar set up, when I, when I clean that, I sprinkle salt on it and let it sit overnight, and then I pick up all the salt instead of just using the water because there's so much water in the bathroom already. So I, I specifically just put salt on like the back of the toilet tank where I have it sitting. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So... Um, when you're getting ready to make your altar, and if you don't feel called to build an, like an, an, an entire travel altar, you don't have to. Grab what feels right to you. There's plenty here <laughs> to grab what you want. Um, think about your intention. What's your intention with this piece? What does your altar mean to you? Kind of take a moment with that meaning. Focus on how that intention vibes with you, how that feels in your gut, in your brain, in your soul and let it manifest as you select those pieces for your altar. And remember, again, anything can be an altar. It can be a necklace. It can be a small tin. It can be a little amulet. It can be anything.
It can be a really cool Pokemon tin that my good friend Becca gave me to share with all of you. <laughs> and if any of that resonates with you, anything that resonates with you at all, if all that resonates is a couple of stones and maybe a little trinket, take those. Turn that into a bracelet, a necklace, an amulet, you know, or add that to something when you get home. When you create something with intention that takes up space with your energy, even if it's just small or temporary, that energy that you direct into it, that, mani that mani manifestation of your energy takes up that space as long as you intend it to. You have that power. You can recharge it. You can recalibrate it. You can change it and redesign it anytime you want to, anytime that feels right. Trust yourself, listen to your gut. Your altars are supposed to be reflective of your practice, not anyone else's, and your altars are not supposed to be the, the, the definitive definer of your practice. They are reflective of it. You can have as many altars as you'd like or as few as you'd like. For as many purposes or as few purposes as we need. Again, it's your practice. Make it work for you. So, come build an altar. <laughs>